1: Get yours in Coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail
3: store. The
4: 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters—
5: All right, guys, welcome to Always Hungry from iHeartRadio. My name is Bobby Flay, and I'm here with my daughter and co-host. I'm Sophie Flay. And on Always Hungry, Sophie and I gather around my stove to cook together.
6: Well, you cook, I ask the questions and eat the food. <laughs>
5: <laughs> if there's any food left, we come to the table together to share a meal, connect as a family, and tell the stories that matter to us.
6: Today we are talking about something that everyone had to do for the past year.
5: Quarantine cooking. Yep. It made us all think about how to use the freezer more and utilize everything in our refrigerator, mm-hmm. in our pantry.
6: We became better home cooks. Did you? No.
5: Okay. <laughs> okay, so we're going to make, um, I'm going to make a skillet roasted chicken. This is not my recipe, it's Ina Garten. Legend. One thing about Ina Garten is everything she does is perfect. <laughs> so Correct. Everybody knows it. We're just going to go with it. I made this chicken, uh, a version of this chicken during quarantine often. It's lemons, onions, white wine, and chicken. The best. I'm basically going to do exactly what she does. She takes fennel seeds and some fresh thyme, some olive oil, and she makes like a spiced olive oil mixture to rub on the chicken while it's roasting. Mm. So, Interestingly enough, when the pandemic hit and we were all not sure what was going to happen, people got really thrifty. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, there were some not so good things about it in terms of people just buying everything in the store. Frankly, the one thing I was concerned about, was the food supply. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't know what was going to happen. Like, were we going to have people able to continue the food supply and continue to grow food and continue to manufacture, et cetera? And you didn't really know. And the bottom line is the food supply never really suffered. Some other supplies suffered, like, you know, toilet paper and stuff like that. But like, the food supply kept going. And when we first started the pandemic, I really started doing things a little bit differently just in case the food supply hadn't right And... I started using my freezer more than ever, you know, for proteins and stuff like that. I never do that. But, you know, meats and fish and, you know, berries and things like that, I was freezing them to make sure that I had them sort of at the ready. And then one of the things that I'm lucky about is that being somebody who has had restaurants and being the chef in a restaurant, what you learn to do almost first and foremost is how to use and utilize everything. Right. And how to make more than one dish out of a protein and how to utilize leftovers in really creative ways. So that's what I started doing. And then every day felt like Sunday to me. I actually did a mm-hmm. piece for CBS Sunday morning, and one of the lines was like, Every day feels like Sunday right now, and right now that's okay. I mean, just because it just felt like comfort food every night.
6: Yeah, you um you made a lot of chicken.
5: <laughs> that's what you're taking away in from. In the queue.
6: Well, I mean, I don't know w- what came over me, but I was obsessed with chicken salad sandwiches at the beginning. Do you remember that?
5: Oh, you know, no, you know what I was making? I was making well, Jewish-style chicken soup.
6: Right, you're making chicken soup, and some of the like leftover chicken that you had after it was boiled, basically.
5: So, so is my, my business partner and, and best friend, Lawrence Kretschmer. His mom, Dorothy, taught me a long time ago that to make really good. Base for like matzo ball soup or Jewish chicken soup is you take a whole chicken and you put it in the water with the aromatics and you let it cook. So the chicken is like completely obviously very, very cooked. It's basically overcooked, but it's like lending itself to all this amazing flavor for the soup. And then you take the chicken and then you pick the chicken out. Right, so it's like it falls apart. Chi- yeah. yeah. It's like pulled chicken. So yeah, I was making a lot of chicken salad, which you were absolutely obsessed with. Oh
6: my gosh. I love chicken salad. I love egg salad. Like I just. A chicken salad sandwich? Oh, my God.
5: We spent a lot of time, you know, during the pandemic cooking, and, and there were some things that got sort of trendy, you know? Some things were, were trending in a big way. Banana bread everywhere.
6: Banana bread's never been bigger. Sourdough. Oh, my gosh. Sourdough starters.
5: I, I started making a lot of focaccia.
6: Yes, you did. A, a lot of people did. Really? Oh, my gosh, yes.
5: Yeah. I actually got the recipe from a woman named Samin Nosrat. And I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but she's a wonderful cook. She writes a lot for The Times and for various publications, really great food writer. But she <clears throat> did a show on Netflix called uh, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Oh, yeah. It, people love the show. Mm-hmm. It was so genuine, great authenticity to it. And she's incredibly likable and it was just one of those shows that really struck a chord with people who are interested in food. And I texted her or DM'd her or something. And, and I just said, you know, I, I just want to let you know I'm using the focaccia recipe from Lugoria. It's not her recipe, it was somebody who she was interviewing his recipe mm-hmm. in Italy. And what's up, Nacho? And she says, right back at you, I love your Parker House rolls.
1: Oh so my like, gosh. So, like, people were like,
5: people were like doing stuff like baking, you know, right. comforting breads, et cetera during the pandemic it was one of the definite like sort of go-to things that that people were doing and they were doing it like in abundance so focaccia was my sort of thing i haven't made it in a while i have to start making it again because it's a really great recipe
6: yeah yours was really good
0: ready okay
4: wherever you're listening.
5: So I have a whole chicken here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to butterfly it. And actually, when you butterfly a chicken, it cooks faster. And I think it cooks more evenly. Mm. The other term that people use is spatchcocked. So spatchcocked or butterflied.
6: Okay.
5: Got a nice chicken here.
6: If you're butterflying the chicken, does that mean you're cutting here?
5: I'm gonna show you. Okay. You're cutting down the backbone. You can do it with a knife or you can do it with a good pair of kitchen shears. So. Whoa. Yeah. Here we go. It's, I, I don't like doing it with the shears. I'm gonna do it with a knife. So you go right down on both sides of the, of the backbone. See this?
6: Wow. Yeah. Oh, there we go.
5: See that? Yeah. So that comes out and then.
6: What, what was that?
5: That was the backbone. That's gone. Okay. So then you just crack. You can hear it. Watch. Listen to this. You crack the bone like that.
6: I feel like you have to be really strong to do all of this, no? Nah, really. I've never made a whole chicken like this okay, before.
5: Okay, so, so you can meet, see the breast bones here, Sophie. That's yep. actually good because it's, it's going to help keep its shape. So you turn it over and you have a butterfly.
6: Like Got it. Butterfly chicken. When I cook a whole chicken, I don't really cut that much. I cut like kind of where the wings are, where the drumsticks are and the wings. Yeah. And then I just put it on the cast iron and it's basically still whole. You kind of like split this in half almost.
5: Yeah, this is, well, I didn't split it in half. Not split it
6: in half, but you made it
5: flat? I I butterflied it. I opened it up.
6: Yeah, okay. So
5: you you, you basically take the backbone out, and then you just open it up. And and you can see it's going to cook quicker and eat more evenly. So here are some of the dishes that I made during, I mean, like, I I think I have about a hundred and... 25 or 150 dishes from that.
6: Wow. Yeah. Okay. What are some of your favorites or most notable?
5: Cast iron steak with with cremini mushrooms, purple sweet potatoes, tahini butter, and scallions. Yum. I made ciabatta French toast with cinnamon, blueberries, banana, and maple. I made ciabatta chocolate bread pudding. So like, like that's like...
6: I didn't have any of that. That sounds well,
5: good. We'll see that. There's a great... Sort of example of that. So I took the ciabatta and I I made French toast of it, but then I made chocolate bread pudding out of it as well. Penne with hot Italian sausage and eggplant with Mm. tomato sauce and creme fraiche. Let's see what else. You know, grilled pork chops with mustard, honey, horseradish sauce. I made chicken cutlets with prosciutto and telegio with arugula and red wine vinaigrette. I used the focaccia and served it with scrambled eggs and prosciutto, kind of like making a sandwich, you know? Yeah, and then. I did a lot of rice dishes. I like steamed rice, but I also like making crispy or crusty rice. So you get that really great texture. Mm-hmm. I do that a lot on beet, where I'll make like a coconut rice, but then I'll crust it in the pan so mm-hmm. you get those crusty bits. I utilize a lot of things in my pantry. That's one of the things that is great to have a well-stocked pantry. Is like I had a pork chop in the freezer. So I took the pork chops out of the freezer, I defrosted them, and I had some of that Korean red pepper paste, and I made a glaze out of it. So like I grilled the pork chops, put the glaze on it, and you have tons of flavor doing that.
6: That's a lot of dishes.
5: <laughs> no, no, it, it goes on and on.
6: I mean, you just be like like you, you keep rattling things Ca- off.
5: Cauliflower agrodolce. Do you know agrodolce means Mm-mm. sweet and sour? Oh yeah. So yum. it's like vinegar and honey with capers and roasted cauliflower. I did a cast iron chicken with salsa verde, kind of like in the style of Jonathan Waxman at Barbuto. I did baked sweet potatoes with pomegranate, black pepper butter. I love sweet potatoes. I made another chicken soup with green chilies and avocados and tortillas, like a tortilla soup.
6: Oh, I made chili for the first time.
5: What kind of chili? Beef chili? Mm-hmm. Was it good? Yeah, it was so good. Did I, use forget,
6: I forget what recipe I used. Did you use my recipe? Do you have a good recipe?
5: I have a really good recipe for lamb and black bean chili, but you don't have to use the lamb. You can use beef if you want to. But it's got like... You'd like it because it has a dark beer in it <laughs> and red chilies. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's, it's really good. Were you here when I made the enchiladas, the casserole of enchiladas? No. Yeah, so I did mushroom and chicken and kale enchiladas. And I put them in a casserole dish and stacked them up with a tomato red chili sauce with cheese, avocado, and cilantro. Doesn't it sound good to you? No, it sounds great. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, I did hot Italian sausages with caramelized onions. I mean, I just—I mean, it just goes on and on and on. I made—I made paella with wild mushrooms and kale, queso fundido. We did like a Mexican thing one night where, with chorizo and garlic, and then I did like a mole spice salsa with toasted sesame seeds. I mean, I'm looking at these recipes. I don't even remember making them. <laughs> Fried chicken thighs with homemade ranch dressing.
6: Oh, that sounds so good.
5: Mussels with squid pasta, basil, and parsley. Grilled lobster with ginger soy butter. Napa cabbage with fried rice and eggs. Mustardy, this is what I wrote. Mustardy lobster rolls with olive oil and toasted buns. Sp- oh, spaghetti zucchini with shishito, pesto, and parmigiano. Now that dish is, is inspired by Amalfi, the Amalfi Coast. I made oh, spit-roasted porchetta with salsa verde. Broccoli and roasted red peppers with honey, mustard, and dressing. I mean, it just goes on and on. Smoked chicken with automatic brine. I mean, that just means that I marinated it and then just smoked it. I did an okra dish also with ranch. I had a ranch moment this year.
6: Not <clears throat> a bad moment to have.
5: Yeah, and green curry coconut cauliflower.
6: It sounds really good. Yeah.
5: I mean, cauliflower is like- Oh my like, God. Are you a fan? Love. Yeah, I mean, cauliflower and Brussels sprouts used to be the ugly stepchild children of vegetables because when we were kids, like your, your mom would destroy them. Like we'd just throw them in water. <laughs> oh, seriously. And they'd be like, it would be terrible. But now, like, now that our cooking techniques across the board have gotten so much better and you roast things and you marinate things and you, you dress things with, like, interesting other ingredients and you bring ethnic seasonings to things. Like, you know, I did, like, an Indian spice cauliflower roasted one night. It was delicious. I mean, those flavors. Are, mm. It's one of those things where, like, spices are my thing because... You know, cooking Southwestern food and even Mediterranean food for my whole career, I reach for a lot of spices. I mean, I always have. Now, Indian spices are something that I know a little about, but not a lot. That said, good quality curry powder, you know, wrapped on some cauliflower with some olive oil and then adding some nuts and fruits to it, you know, on, on its way out and some fresh herbs, it, it makes it delicious. And you serve it with some kind of yogurt dip thing. I mean, you just transform cauliflower into something magical, you know.
6: Mm-hmm. I learned how to make pork chops. I learned how to make lamb chops. <laughs>
5: uh, <laughs> yeah, but that's a good place to start.
6: I know. I know.
5: Your grandmother—that was her. Those were her two dishes: lamb chops with mint jelly. Oh, what mint jelly? Yeah, mint jelly is classic lamb.
6: I know it is, but that's just. Uh, well, I don't we're know. talking
5: about 1971. Okay. Okay, and then. You know, and then she'd make pork chops with applesauce. And to make it like totally gourmet, she would add cinnamon to the applesauce out of the jar. Okay. Do you like applesauce?
6: Not really.
5: You don't like the texture of it?
6: No, I don't like the texture of it. Do you like applesauce?
5: My friend David Burke, who's a chef in New York, he made this applesauce that I still think about in one of his restaurants, I mean, a long time ago. Yeah. He did a thing called a pork shank. Back in like the early 90s, lamb shanks became big. But then David Burke, because he's like a mad genius decided he was gonna make a pork shank which is just like a big hunk of pork with like very crispy skin on the outside of it and he served it with this applesauce in a mason jar but the applesauce was a green apple sauce with green chilies in it it was delicious wow so i like making homemade applesauces like that especially with with, with chilies like that I, i still remember the dish so yeah i don't want it out of the jar So what we're gonna do now is we're gonna take some olive oil and some fresh thyme and some fennel seeds and we're just gonna process them so that we get the flavors of the thyme and the fennel. So fennel has that like nice kind of licorice flavor and thyme tastes like thyme. This has like this sort of south of France thing working that yeah. That Ain is so good at. You That's know? what
6: I love about a roast chicken too. You can just kind of use like all the herbs that you have.
5: Yeah, totally we so have the olive oil in here, the thyme, and the fennel. It's
6: a very pretty light green.
5: All right, so that's done. And obviously this is something you can do ahead of time. So I have a cast iron pan, which you love to use too.
6: I love a cast iron.
5: And we have onions and lemon. I'm going to peel the onion, and we're just going to make just slices of the onion, round slices.
6: The onion smells so good. Yeah. So sweet.
5: And then we're gonna make slices of the lemon. Mm -hmm. Does she have some garlic in here as well or not?
6: I'm sure there's garlic. No?
5: Yeah, a couple garlic cloves. Thank you. And we're just gonna smash the garlic cloves just to get the skin off them. And so all these these aromatics, Sophie—the lemon, the onion, and the garlic—go on the bottom of the pan, and the chicken is going to roast on top of this. Oh, yum! So it becomes Some part slices
6: of, of onion. Yeah,
5: so it becomes part of the aromatics to roast the chicken, but also it's going to be you know part of the and the, the lemon pan goes sauce. on the bottom too. Yeah, the lemon and the garlic. This is so easy right. and so flavorful.
0: Let's hit it!
4: So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening.
6: Did we do some fried chicken?
5: Yeah, for sure. And fried chicken sandwiches the next day. Mm. That's the key. I did fried chicken with the one that I do at Shark, where it's like, it's got the lime and the honey and the, and the red chili honey.
6: yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm like dying to have a Korean fried chicken.
5: That's not Korean.
6: No, I know, but like, that's a little bit. It's a little more similar.
5: You know, my friend Esther Choi is a Korean chef, and she's. I think she's she's exploring the world of Korean fried chicken as a business, which would be great. Yes. But like anything, like chicken Milanese, chicken piccata, like all those kinds of dishes that you make at home that are classics, people really love making those kinds of things. Right. And. Like when I teach somebody how to do that kind of kind of thing, then they have it down. It's like every culture has like a breaded cutlet version, you know, whether it's like Wiener Schnitzel, <laughs> which would be you know Austrian or German, yes. or chicken Milanese, which would which which would be Italian, Italian, or chicken cutlets, which is just you know American style.
6: You teaching Barry how to make chicken cutlets is actually the funniest thing ever.
5: It's it actually should be a TV show. So my friend Barry who can't cook and never even <laughs> attempted to cook. He wanted to learn how to cook during the quarantine because he's got this, you know, young daughter who's, how old is Juliet, 12? Maybe, yeah. And, you know, so like single dad and literally doesn't know the difference between like a frying pan and a grill. I mean, has no <laughs> has no idea. And so we were doing these FaceTime cooking lessons where I would walk them through every single step. And I taught them how to make tomato sauce. I taught them how to cook pasta I taught them how to make like oh, like a pink sauce, almost like the po- penny a la vodka without the vodka that you mm-hmm. love. You know, where, where it's tomato sauce, then you add some cream to it. I taught them how to make chicken milanese, and you know, with the tomatoes and arugula, and I bread the chicken. Yeah, you know, I, I taught them a bunch of dishes, and it became part of their repertoire. And it just literally like lit them up; like they just loved it. That's one of the great things about cooking at home, which is that when you discover how to cook something fantastic, it's so gratifying. It is because a you've done it. So you've accomplished something and it's now it's on the plate and then B like you're eating it. So there's gratification for you and whoever whoever else you're feeding. That's why I love cooking so much.
6: I can only imagine that people that you actually know reached out to you constantly throughout the pandemic for cooking advice, wanted to FaceTime, but was there anyone that like you didn't know or, or someone that, you know, now we're so much more accessible over social media. Was there anyone that like, reached out to you that was like, hey, Bobby, can you help me with X, Y, and Z? Like, were you getting a lot of requests for a food help, cooking help? Literally
5: half a dozen a day. Right. I mean, and I mean, the bottom line is that as ambassadors of the Food Network, right? I mean, I've been on the Food Network for 25 years. It's literally my family. My relationship with the Food Network has really been good to me and to our family. It's where I I lay my, my hat, so to speak. And because of that, people reach out to us in some way, shape or form, whether they're watching our shows, you know, going to the website, buying our cookbooks, coming to our restaurants, it becomes this one gigantic community of information. And so the pandemic hits, you know, restaurants are closed, you know, all sort of hell kind of breaks loose everywhere and you're home and you're not going anywhere. So, what are you doing? You want to be helpful like because that's in times of need, you want to be able to like give people something to sort of brighten their day, help feed their family. all those kinds of things are really helpful getting everybody through each single day of the pandemic and so you know I'm grateful that I have <clears throat> something that can be helpful to people
6: mm-hmm.
5: during nine eleven you were so young then, but during nine eleven you know we The chefs, you know, everywhere in New York, like, did what they could. And everybody, everybody wanted to be helpful. Right. But only some people could really be helpful. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were feeding people, the rescue workers, et cetera. And it makes you feel good that you can actually participate like that. Right. In times of need. Okay, so now what we're going to do is we're going to put the chicken skin-side down first.
6: Oh, okay.
5: Okay? I'm going to put salt and pepper on there. All right, and then we're going to take the oil and we're going to brush it on.
6: Oh, the oil, the thyme, and yes. fennel seeds? Yeah. Yum. See, like a brush. I don't have one of those in my kitchen.
5: Okay. Well, I know it's good, you for Christmas.
6: <laughs> Great. <laughs> Merry Christmas to me.
5: Exactly. And then what you do here, so now you flavored this, right? We're gonna turn the chicken over okay. to the skin side up.
6: So you are gonna cook skin side up. It's so pretty.
5: 450 degrees for 30 minutes. And then after 30 minutes, we add some white wine to it. And then the white wine, the alcohol will cook off. You'll save the flavor of the grape. And then all the pan juices and the white wine and the lemon and the onions all become basically the pan sauce. Got it. For the chicken. Yum. And then you cook it for a little bit longer, and then you let it rest for a little bit longer. It's like, it's a little over an hour all in. Then you have Ina Garten's skillet chicken.
6: Delicious. See ya.
5: Because there's so many now resources that you can pull from if you want to learn how to do something, I just think that people got better at cooking. And I think that there's some silver linings in in these bad moments. And and one of them is that people got to spend more time with their family. They got to have longer-winded, real conversations around their tables. And they got to become better cooks. So you know that, that's, sort of the, that's sort of the good part of that.
6: Right. Do you feel like you had trouble with overeating in quarantine?
5: I don't think I had trouble with it. I think that I ate a lot. <laughs> but I also worked out a lot. Okay. I mean, I was doing yoga and Pilates, and I was walking in my neighborhood like miles and miles and miles. Yeah. Because you couldn't go to the gym. So right. you'd have to do something. I mean, I mean. Look, honestly, I mean, I was drinking more, but after the first month, I stopped drinking completely, just because I think everybody was drinking more. Yeah, we were like, "What is going on here?" Yeah, and then like all of a sudden, I was like, "I can't be drinking bottles of wine every night." <laughs> I mean, like, it, you just can't. I know. I mean, what you know, what happens is, you know, for me, it's like you make a good meal. You're like, I want a glass of wine with that. Right. I mean, of course, because that's what you should be doing. And then all of a sudden you turn, you're like, wait, 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 where's the rest of the bottle? (laughs)
6: Where'd the wine go? Yeah.
5: Where where did did we, what happened to the rest of it? Right. And then so like, you know, if that happens, I just go like, hold on. And I take a month or two off from drinking completely.
6: Yeah. You're good about that.
5: Well, it's all about moderation. It is. But at the same time, I love the flavor of delicious wines and stuff like that. Right. I don't need to be drinking like. tequila cocktails every night but like wine with dinner is just listen when you're looking for moments of comfort in a time of distress you've made a a really nice meal for the middle of the table you want to complete it with a really great glass of wine just do I mean I do
6: I've definitely loved expanding my cooking repertoire but I I'm very excited to get back into a restaurant and enjoy a nice meal well, I've I've had a lot of chicken.
5: <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, I feel that way. It's my business and my industry, and my brothers and sisters out there who have. This has been tough, but but you know, in terms of like, <clears throat> just as an experience standpoint, yeah, we all miss restaurants. You want to sit down at a table and not worry about who you're sitting next to. You, you know, you want to listen. I think that when. We all get back out, it's going to be like Studio 54 all over again. I mean, people are going to be out dancing, eating, Mm -hmm. drinking, going to events, going to movie theaters. All the things that we probably in some ways have taken for granted, and understandably, you know, we miss. And I think that to look at this in a positive light, you know, we've taken this pause, whether or not we wanted to or not. And, and hopefully it's made us think about, you know, how we want to do things differently maybe in our lives or maybe not. And in terms of, in terms of food, I think it's made us all probably better cooks.
6: Definitely. And now that I've got a few recipes up my sleeve, I'm excited to get back to the day when I can cook for my friends, have my own little dinner party.
5: Yeah. Or you can go to Barry's house. You know, he'll make you like <laughs> the, t- what the, the pasta dish or the chicken collets I taught him. <laughs>
6: <laughs> exactly
5: I mean I'm I'm kind of hungry let's eat okay let's get some lemon chicken
6: <laughs> Always Hungry is created by Bobby Flay and Sophie Flay
5: our executive producer is Christopher Haciotis
6: Always Hungry is produced, edited, and mixed by Jonathan Haas-Dressler.
5: Always Hungry is engineered by Sophie Flay. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
6: This chicken's really good. The onion is almost, like, caramelized.
5: I want to thank Ina Garten for everything creating just another perfect dish. It's lemon, onions, and then, like, some flavored olive oil and a butterfly chicken. So good. It's one of those things where it's, like... This was so easy and so delicious. It's classic Ina.
6: Totally, but don't talk and chew at the same time. Oh, not, it sounds so bad.
5: <laughs> I'm just hungry, Sophie.
6: I know. I'm trying to help you out here. I'm always hungry. Rose, That's the name of the
5: show. <laughs> I love when you give me dirty looks across the table.
6: Well, I'm not trying to. You're I don't want to. I don't want to put on the recording. But who wants to hear you chew?
1: Like, no, thanks. work.